0: You're listening to the side gig central podcast episode number 10 once in a while when you start chipping away at your side gig goal day after day you randomly strike gold and for whatever reason the side gig gods smile down upon you for a brief moment in time and shower you with phenomenal opportunity today happens to be one of those rare occasions. Today, I have struck podcast guest gold. I have the honor of being joined by Dan Premack today, business editor for Axios and the host of the Axios Pro Rata podcast, where you can get smarter faster on the most talked about topics in tech, business and politics. You may already be familiar with Axios from their popular TV show, Axios on HBO, which currently airs on Sunday nights and helps viewers better understand 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 the big trends reshaping America and the world through exclusive interviews and news content. Dan's lightning fast 10 minute podcast and the Pro Rata newsletter deliver the biggest stories and breaking news on business deals and deal makers. One podcast reviewer recently remarked If you want to know what's actually going on and how the investment world is thinking about tech, this is the podcast. Not only does Dan push the boundaries with his podcast and newsletter, but he's also authored quite a few articles about the gig economy and on demand workers, which is exactly why I've invited him on the show today. In past episodes of this podcast, I've interviewed a pretty diverse group of gig economy practitioners, such as Uber and Lyft drivers, an Airbnb host, a Door Dasher, and even an Etsy store owner. So today, I'm really looking forward to speaking with a business reporter and business trend expert to really help us understand where the gig economy is heading in 2020. So, in an effort to mirror Axios's brilliant use of brevity, I'll cut right to the chase. Without further ado, I'm pleased to introduce you to Dan Pramek. You're listening to the Side Gig Central podcast, where we truly believe that your side gig has the power to change your life. My name is Elena Ciccatelli, and I'm a small business owner and side gig hustler just like you. I'm so excited to help you redefine what success looks like in today's gig economy. Listen in on honest conversations that I have with the experts and from hardworking side gig entrepreneurs just like you who are killing it with their side hustle. Learn the best strategies, tips, and tricks that have helped others pave their own way and craft their dream side gig. So if you're ready to get started, up your game, and do the work, you're definitely in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you so much for your time. I know you have a ton of valuable insights for us today, so thank you again for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Excellent. Well, before we dive into our conversation about gig economy, give us a little bit more of background uh, as to how you became the business editor for Axios.
1: Uh, yeah. In short, they asked.
0: Um, <laughs> I've <I'd> been uh, <laughs> yes. I was
1: at Reuters for about a decade, and Fortune uh, for about six years uh, before coming here. Uh, they, I, Mike Allen and Jim Bandahai reached out as they were creating Axios. They had previously been running Politico, and uh, and really, were just offering to put together a bunch of people who they thought had sector expertise and kind of who they felt were a bunch of smart people. And I was honored to be asked, uh, and we kind of figured out from there. Um, and it just was a chance to work with a bunch of folks who I'd respected for years, uh, covering politics and healthcare and other things and and to get that the business aspect of that
0: amazing and then was the podcast kind of a natural extension of what you were already doing uh, as the business editor
1: not really. The podcast was, to be honest, a, a little bit of a beta test and a lark. Uh, we had done a video conversation between me and our tech editor or tech correspondent, Ina Freed, um, when we were both in our D.C. headquarters, just chatting about Amazon and Apple, I think, one day. And, and it was being videotaped. And Jim VandeHei, our CEO, uh, watched it and said, you should do a podcast. Uh, so great. I said, all right, Yeah. I'll do a podcast. So, uh, and it's kind of taken off from there. And it's, uh, it, it's become a daily or four times a week uh, show
0: well congratulations uh, as I said in the introduction it is a 10 minute lightning fast everything you need to know uh, amazing uh, podcast if and if anybody out there has not listened to it yet definitely check it out one of my favorite episodes was the one uh, titled unicorns of the IPO apocalypse number one that title is amazing and number two I completely agree with your with your point of view there so uh, so congrats on the podcast and just being awesome at Axios in general. So, oh,
1: it's very nice of you to say.
0: Of course. So um, I want to get into um, kind of your perspective on uh, why the gig economy matters. Yep. I want to dig into a little bit more about the wage debate on for on-demand workers and then get your perspective on the future of the gig economy. So is that does that sound good? Absolutely.
1: Sounds good to me.
0: Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So in your special report article, uh, it's called The New Gig, America's Hidden Economy. Can you briefly describe what you kind of mean by this quote where it says on demand jobs are to 2019 what fast food work was to 1989?
1: Yeah, uh, they've they've kind of become this, this and the way I wrote it was kind of a central cog in economic growth. Uh, but specifically, it's kind of two groups of people, that, there's a lot of people obviously who do de- economy jobs, but the two biggest groups are entry level. So folks who are doing this, if not their first job, kind of their first quasi full-time job, right? And then folks who are trying to get supplemental incomes. And that's a lot like what we saw with fast food in the 1970s and 1980s, where people either were, you know, taking a shift for, you know, a couple times a week as a second job to make ends meet, or it really were folks who were relatively low-skilled who were looking for that first job, that first regular paycheck. And, And that's what we see a lot of in on demand. Now, there are exceptions to that, right? There are people who are, you know, retired, who are, you know, doing Uber to make a little bit of extra cash here or there. But then again, you also used to see at a McDonald's counter, you know, folks in their 70s, sometimes in their 80s, taking orders for that same reason.
0: Yeah. And I also think, too, that if I may, there there might even be another segment of, uh, dare I say, millennials out there that are trying to pay off student loan debt and or make ends meet and, uh, you know, getting into some of these easier plug and play platforms that you don't need a ton of cash to get started on to maybe Again, pay off student loan debt, which I kind of raise my hand in that <laughs> equation yeah. um do you do you think that's also a kind of another cap? Yeah. Por-
1: yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess I'd put that probably in the supplemental income category. And, and also, you know, the the jobs are obviously plentiful, right? You know, yeah. it's, it's not the same as a as a fast food job wasn't since you don't have to go to a hiring manager and interview and fill out an application in the same way, although you, you do fill out, obviously, a quasi application. But but, it, it, the you know, if you want to do it, unless you've got a massive red flag on your record, you're going to get the job.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Low barrier to entry, right? <laughs> so. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And, and by the way, and that also feeds into kind of you know when you when you think of America right now and you think of the low unemployment rate, lots of people who have full, you know, who view themselves as having full time gig economy jobs, even though the companies might not consider them to be employees, they view themselves as employed. And and there's big questions as to what that means when we hear about unemployment numbers every month, how those people are really being counted, because ultimately those surveys that the Department of Labor does, those are self-described surveys. I describe myself as employed or unemployed. And if I'm driving for Uber 40 hours, 60 hours a week, I might say I am employed, even though, again, you know, I'm not getting a 1099 each year.
0: Yeah, exactly. And doesn't that skew the, the data?
1: Absolutely. It probably does. And, and there are people trying to do research, trying to figure out how much, but it is at this point kind of too new to really be able to understand, or at least there's been nothing definitive on that.
0: Yeah. Well, good luck to those folks trying to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> my Next question on uh, this, the same article uh, that I referenced previously, um, where uh, you still talk about America's labor ladder um, has a new bottom rung referring to um, on demand plug and play platforms. Um, it's an easy first step for these unskilled workers and valuable stability for everything above. If it breaks, there might be no other way for millions of workers to rise. So my question here is kind of twofold. Do you think that on-demand jobs in the form of a side gig could be seen as a gateway to entrepreneurship, like a way for people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, better their situation or do you think these on-demand jobs will go down in history as like an excuse for tech companies to exploit independent contractors?
1: I think both can be true. Uh, and, I absolutely think I absolutely think both of them can be true. Uh, you know, there are certainly people who you know look. It, it is a fairly it, it's a quasi entrepreneurial job, right? Like to a certain extent, you set your own hours, your yeah. your own boss. On the other hand, you're not determining your own pay, um, and then to be honest, you're not even really determining your own product, which is really the the true key of entrepreneurship, right? You you find a you find a, a market need and you try to fill it by being inventive or being creative, and, and that's not really what this is. Um, the the issue about the bottom rung breaking, I mean that that's the big concern I have. You know, if if you look and go back to the fast food analogy, there was no fear in 1985 that every burger joint was going to go out of business for some reason, right? You know, Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, all these were wildly profitable. Companies. And and there were certainly questions about whether they should be paying their workers better, whether they should be treating their workers better. But there was no real fear that the job category was going to go away. I think with on demand and and gig economy, there is some question because these are not so far profitable business models, even for the biggest of the companies, right? Uber loses a lot of money, Lyft loses a lot of money, Postmates loses a lot of money. And at some point, One of two, you know, at some point, either that has to turn around. Those companies have to be able to prove a path, not even a path to profitability, have to be on that profitability path, or the companies don't survive. You you can't have an entire industry that doesn't make money and have that industry survive for decades and decades. And if it were to go away, because it has become this place for people to get supplemental income, for people to get a job who otherwise are having troubles getting it, what do they do next? If it's the job of last resort for a lot of people, what do you do if it, it, it just goes away?
0: The Sidegig Central Podcast is powered by Drive It Away, the only rental car company built around rideshare drivers so that you can rent to own your vehicle. Visit driveitaway.com for more details. That is a absolutely like perfect segue into my next question, which is which happens to be about the the wage debate that's actually happening with uh, Uber and Lyft, and the AB5 bill that passed in um, in California a couple months ago. Um, so for for those folks that haven't listened to a previous episode that I did about this wage debate, um, the AB5 bill is a bill that classifies on-demand workers and employees, not independent contractors. And ironically, I did have an Uber slash Lyft driver on the show, and he is wildly opposed to it. He's like, I then I don't have my free... He, he wants to be an independent contractor. So, um, Dan, give me your perspective. How do <laughs> (laughs) You see this impacting both the rideshare industry, which, as you pointed out, rightly so, does not make any money, is not profitable, and how is it going to impact rideshare drivers?
1: Well, let's start with the AB five thing. I mean, look, yep. this is like so many pieces of legislation written very, very, very badly, right?
0: So <laughs> yeah. it is. It, it is.
1: You know, it, you know, all legislation is written to confuse. If if you've ever read a bill from a state or a federal level, that they're they're overly usually long. This one's written poorly. There are carve outs and then non carve outs. Uber is arguing, well, this doesn't really apply to us because they don't explicitly say drivers. Who did I mean, really, who do you think the state senators were thinking about? But given that Uber said that before this thing passed, how the sponsors didn't write the word drivers and amend it is beyond me. Right. Could have fixed it. One line, one clause could have fixed and ended that entire argument. Uh, look, I mean, ultimately, we it, this is a little bit like the pornography argument. Right. You know, I'll know it when I see it. We know that these people are employees, and we know that because they are the ones providing the primary service to the customers, right? You yes. have no question when you walk into a store and there's a clerk or cashier, there's no question that these people are employees. You don't know when you walk into that store if they have scheduled hours or if they just kind of show up when they want to show up. It doesn't matter. They're the employees, and, and this is going to have to get resolved. And and the ultimate thing on profitability vis-a-vis these workers is The companies probably these services are ultimately going to have to charge more, right? You know, on-demand ride hail became popular for two reasons. One, because it it was just so much more convenient than taxis were, and two, because it was so much cheaper than taxis. You can keep the convenience, but the cheaper part is just eventually probably going to have to go away because these platforms have not proven that scale can make up for those discounts. They just haven't, and they're pretty mature at this point.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think as we kind of go down this, this slippery slope, and now, you know, of course, the the whole WeWork debacle, you know, it's this like, you know, if you're not, if you're not profitable, and you don't know how to get profitable, you might as well in 2020, uh, you got to figure out something else to do. So um, talking about kind of going back um, to my previous question about kind of who is making up the gig economy kind of uh, giving us a, I guess, cross section, if you will, of, of people who are participating in the gig economy. Um, three major groups. I know that, um, one of the articles, uh, on axios.com points out three major groups here, which I thought was very clever. And I, and I liked the, I appreciated the categorization here. We have the strugglers, the strivers and the success stories. Um, So how do you think this is kind of affecting the way uh, people, people are making a living?
1: Yeah, so just to define them a little bit, at least the way we define them, uh, the strugglers were these folks who are kind of, uh, call them down on their luck. uh, Or, um, you know, they're folks maybe even who say graduated college with a good degree, but can't find a job or can't find a way to use it. Uh, The strivers were these people we talked about earlier, uh, basically supplementing their their income, uh, trying to maybe move one rung up on the economic scale. You know, you've got a full-time job, but this is a way maybe on the weekends to make a little bit of extra money or pay off debts. And then the success stories who are the ones, as you said, who do see entrepreneurial activity here. And, And there are stories of people people who either use this extra income in order to, if not create companies, have the flexibility to be able to do that, or who do view it as a chance to get a better, you know, a lot of people, most people, uh, go their whole lives and are never their own boss, right? Mm. You know, you get a job and then you get another job and then you get another job. Uh, th- this does, I think, or can teach you a bit things like time management, money management, customer interaction, right? You know, it's it's kind of like why being a waiter I always thought was a great, great early yeah. job, just because it teaches you how to deal with people, including you know, people you don't know and people who might not like you so much uh, and, and just how to kind of manage that for the purpose of getting them to like you by the end. So you get a tip. And that's certainly true with on demand. Um, so I think these are kind of we, we view them as the three biggest groups in this. Uh, I'm sorry. Now I've totally lost your question. I talked so much. I totally lost
0: your question. No, that's okay. Just how it's affecting the way people are making a living. So um, like, for example, if I'm a a striver, you know, again, I'll use my my student loan debt. (laughs) as an example, you know, I'm, uh, this podcast is actually my side gig, so it's very meta, uh, but I am, uh, you know, using the the side gig to actually improve my situation and potentially piggyback onto an entrepreneur, a bigger entrepreneurial venture. So is this, do you think this is, maybe let me rephrase, rephrase the question well, no, here. Look,
1: I, I, think, I think it does open things up there, you know, to go back to the fast food analogy, things yeah. that you couldn't do back then, right? You know, because for example, um I'll think about like, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the first jobs I had was being a busboy at a Bennigan's. I don't think those exist anymore. But it was like a quick, <laughs> a fast, casual restaurant. Right. Like, right. I, I it was actually I had two jobs when I was doing it. I had that and something else. But the problem with the Bennigan's job was I didn't control the hours. Now, I could request shifts. Right. Or say there were certain days I really couldn't work, but I didn't really have control of it. And it was a very, very difficult situation. Ultimately, somebody else was in charge. And for me to make a go of the thing that I was really trying to do, it was just extraordinarily difficult because Somebody else ultimately had the keys to that, uh, so I think this does open up, if not entrepreneurship, at least fle- I mean, and look, this is known, right? The flexibility of it—that if you want to go for something else but need X dollars extra in your bank account, right. This is a way to do it and be your and be to a certain extent in charge of your own destiny. Now, that doesn't get into all the questions about are you being underpaid for that other thing, which I think generally they are, but nonetheless, it, it is something you can do, which is different, really, than almost any other side gig that has guaranteed income right as opposed to a side gig that you know maybe hopefully will make money but but doesn't you know on day one
0: yeah and and also i i've I've said this a couple of times on previous episodes if you have a smartphone and you have wi-fi and you have either a marketable skill or some sort of asset that you want to leverage a aka like rent out like why are you broke in 2019 i don't understand like there's just so many Ways that you can, again, leverage a talent, a, a skill, what have you, um to get ahead. So that's that's kind of how I. Well, so
1: long, which goes back to the employee thing, right? Yeah. Usually, yes, but unless you've got you know a massive medical expense or something like that, which if you're driving for Uber or you're delivering for DoorDash, they're not helping you with because they're not giving you insurance because you're right. not
0: Right, right, right. I'm I'm also saying about the the side gig, like truly being a side gig. Like you have your not, nine, yeah, you have your nine to five and then you know but then that that actually raises a, a, another really interesting question Um, and I've been asked this question quite a bit how do you know that your side gig is going so well and then you make the jump into a full time gig you know making that transition from again I I guess I'm really picking on the the striver here um, making your your side gig potentially your full time gig uh, which some people find attractive and maybe that's like the holy grail or side gig nirvana place that we're all trying to get to I think
1: it is I, I guess it depends on what the side gig is right and, and i think back to like the, the taxi example right in, mm. in, in that you know a lot of people actually used to drive cabs to side gigs right that that used to be a, a side job people would have a main job and drive a cab 10 hours you know, a week. And it wasn't their cab, right? It wasn't their medallion. It was somebody else's. And a lot of those people actually did strive to actually own their own medallions, to either own their own taxi fleet or to be able to drive their own cab. It is tougher. And so I guess the gig economy to me splits into a couple different categories, right? The door dashes, et cetera, of the world. I don't think many people are striving to open their own food, del- food delivery company, um, Correct. You know, the scale of it, the, et cetera. Uh, but on the other hand, some of, you know, you look at some kind of the, the, the coding marketplaces or the graphic design marketplace, Places, things like that, that that absolutely could become a full-time business if you're good enough at it, and and you can get experience and you can get customers and you can get references.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then you have to get into the customer acquisition because a lot of these I call them plug and play. So DoorDash, Postmates, Uber, Lyft, I call them like you're plugging yourself into a ready-made business model, and then they're serving up customers to you, and then you're just kind of running with it, you know, as opposed to um, kind of I call them sweat equity side gigs, which is i use this podcast as an example, as a sweat equity sure. side gig. And, you know, then comes customer acquisition again, kind of the gateway to entrepreneurship. So all great stuff. Um, so let's get into where you see the gig economy heading in 2020. Do you do you see any major major changes on the horizon? Like yeah. What what do you think is coming coming up?
1: I think this is going to be a fascinating year. I I think this is a make or break year for certain companies Uh, just on the business side of things. Right. We we see Uber and Lyft go public and struggle Uh, again. They are still large companies, uh, generally speaking, by market cap, but much smaller than they expected to be at this time last year. You have SoftBank, which is this giant Japanese investment firm, which has been really the the money engine of a lot of these. They invested a ton in Uber and in Didi and in DoorDash, et cetera. They're having problems in part because of their big investment in Uber, in part because of their even bigger investment in WeWork. And it is questionable whether they are going to continue plugging hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, into gig economy companies. And if they stop, there might not be anyone to fill that gap anymore, which means, again, if you are unprofitable and you have been spending like mad, um, in part because SoftBank told you to, what are you going to do in 2020? The public markets don't seem to want you, uh, which Postmates has learned. Uh, we will, you know, Didi was supposed to go public this year. It didn't. I think mm-hmm. that's notable. Um, so I think this is a real make or break year for companies to try to figure out, you know, again, path to profitability is a weird term. Uh, you know, you hear uh, Lyft CEO uh, say, oh, you know, we're going to get there. I think he said by the end of 2022 yeah no it was
0: yeah it was like 2021 yeah yeah, but he but... doesn't
1: like that's kind of like i'd like to lose 20 pounds by the end of 2021 <laughs> double goal maybe but you have absolutely no idea what is going to happen you know between now and then you can't you can't So I I think this is going to be a year where these companies really have to start figuring figuring that out. And that might mean shedding of some non-core businesses uh, in in certain cases, which would mean fewer job opportunities potentially or fewer uh, on-demand plug-and-play job opportunities. Um, Or maybe somebody is going to, to come up with a holy grail that kind of looks at this and says, "Okay, we've got huge customer demand for these sorts of companies. It's the business model that's broken, not the product. Maybe I can come up with a way that fixes the business model. It's an enormous opportunity for somebody to come out and do, um, but we just haven't seen it yet because almost all of these companies have followed the same playbook and the playbook from a corporate perspective is broken. You need a giant venture capital firm, generally speaking, to subsidize all the losses. And those firms are not necessarily going to be around this year anymore. It's also, this has been a pie that has been endlessly expanding for the last you know, pick a time, six, seven, eight years, because you've constantly had new companies and existing companies expanding into new markets. I think it's more the growth that could slow, Uh, you know, existing companies going into new markets and new types of companies and new companies emerging. Uh, Right now, I I can't imagine if I'm a venture capitalist right now, why do I fund a new grocery delivery or a new food delivery or a new ride hail platform? Mm. What for what possible reason? Because what the only thing I know about these businesses right now is that they lose money and that the public markets don't like
0: them. Right. Which is extremely unattractive and absolutely doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't serve anyone's end game. Yeah. It, again, as you'd mentioned, I think 2020 is going to be a make or break year. I think, um, you know, I think the uh, rideshare companies kind of brought us into this uh, kind of weird mode where we, yes, we can depend on these On these services, you know, as a culture, we're now conditioned to take Uber and Lyft when I am at the airport or date night or whatever it is. You know, Uber is a is a verb now. Right. It's permanently like ingrained in our culture. So um, it's going to be interesting.
1: The one other thing that's happening this year, obviously, is the presidential election. And and if if either Sanders or Warren are the nominee, and, and, and Warren seems to be the front runner at this moment. Things could change. They have both talked a lot about uh, on-demand economy jobs, um, particularly on the unionization side. Mm. There could be a major push, maybe even legislative changes. Again, this is all theoretical, where they become president this will become a priority. But this will become part of the campaign trail. If Elizabeth Warren is the nominee next summer, she, will, she does talk about this. She will talk about it more. Uh, mm. and, and you're talking about, to be honest, a fairly large voting block, right? You think of all the Uber drivers, DoorDash delivery people, you know, on down the line, Instacart people. It's a lot of people. Um, and this is a, it's a major part of her and Sanders's uh, campaign.
0: Yeah. And as you mentioned, kind of in the beginning of our of our conversation today is it the gig economy is a major cog in the economy's wheel. Right. I mean, it's it's I don't know what the stat is because I'm terrible at stats or numbers or anything like that. But, um, you know, I imagine that the gig economy is is generating a, a significant portion to just the American economy in general. And kind of going back to what you were saying of how that it's a little bit skewing um, kind of unemployment as well. Um, so Absolutely.
1: and we don't have and, and there's not been really a reckoning of what happens yet. You know, when I said that Warren and Sanders You know it's not something we ever hear from Trump. It's not something we ever hear from labor secretary or from the um, uh, from Treasury secretary about these jobs the future of these jobs because this you know this is such a big part of the labor pool now and is a driving force not the driving force but it is a driving force behind low unemployment and and particularly for those who are doing this full time and are doing it because they are you know relatively unskilled labor. What does happen if, if this if there's a pullback here? I, mm. I don't think we have an answer. But again, I do think 2020 there will be political discussion of this. It'll it'll get the mainstream. It, it is really remarkable that there's so much talk, for example, about manufacturing jobs or about coal mining jobs. This is a much bigger part of the of the American economy at this point.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think, well, my opinion is that it's going to continue to grow. What is your feeling? Do you think it's going to continue to expand?
1: I'm not sure. Honestly, as I said, I, I think this profitability issue is a real mm-hmm. question. I, I think it might for the short term. But, you know, if, we, if we're looking down the line, these companies have to figure out how to make money. Um, you right. know, they, they have a really popular product because it's you know, incredibly cheap, right? Like I could have the most popular restaurant in the city if I was charging $2 a meal, right? (laughs) Right. You know, taking a $10, $20 hit on each one. I can do that. I can't do it forever. Uh, And and there has to be a point where where they figure out that balance. And to date, they haven't. And the numbers, you know, aren't, you know, the gaps aren't really shrinking on any of these companies.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think also too, specifically in the plug and play area, there's going to be, as you say, Adjustments are going to have to be made and uh, maybe even more legislation is coming down the pike. But in terms of the sweat equity, the uh, what do you can say, wannabe entrepreneur that's kind of using it as a way to dabble or test the waters in a new industry. I think that part of it is um is expanding and unending. Agreed. And and by the
1: way, if we do get an economic pullback, an economic recession, a lot of people who have those side gig jobs, those sweat equity jobs, that's when they will decide to go into that full term. If you go, for example, to the history of WeWork, WeWork kind of launched out of the, or kind of into the Great Recession. And and one of the reasons they were so successful so early on, they had a lot of people who had had full-time jobs and had lost them and weren't able to find new ones. So decided, okay, if I'm going to take my shot at, you know, whatever my dream is of of making or doing whatever, I might as well do it now because I can't get a full-time job anyway. This will be my moment. So if if we do get an economic pullback in the next 12, 24 months, a lot of those side gig jobs Jobs that we have seen people take over the last couple of years could become full time work.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll we'll definitely uh, we'll keep our eyes out. Dan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your insights. You are. Uh, Just an extraordinary resource and expert and um, just I'm so grateful and humbled that you uh, that you were a guest today. So again, thank you so much for your time. Um, And Dan, where, uh, where can our listeners find you? Where do you hang out online the most?
1: Online, the most probably Twitter at Dan Primack, that's P-R-I-M-A-C-K, or you can get the ProRata newsletter at signup.axios.com or search Axios ProRata in any of the podcast platforms. We are on there uh, four times a week.
0: Absolutely. Yes, please listen to Dan's podcast. It is amazing. You will be three times smarter after you listen to Dan's podcast and that is, that is a fact. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for your time once again and uh, have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks
1: for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Side Geek Central podcast. You can dive into the show notes for this episode and for all past episodes at SidegigCentral.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast thanks again for tuning in. I'll talk to you very soon. And by the way, keep up that side hustle because it looks good on you.